The Lord is certainly in this place this morning. Amen. Uh, sweet spirit in this room today. Thanks for bringing your hearts today. I'm excited to jump into the word. Let me first say thank you all for praying for my Cincinnati Bengals. Apparently God listens to y'all's prayers. So keep praying. They're in the Super Bowl next Sunday. Um, you know, here's a funny little story. So my son Isaiah, who graduated this past year and went off to Missouri, um, we shipped him off back in June and haven't seen him since. And we're waiting for him to get homesick and just ain't happening. Um, but I texted him a few weeks ago as the Bengals started in the playoffs. And I was like, hey, uh, if the Bengals make the Super Bowl, you should come home and watch it with us. And he's like, yeah, that'd be cool. Uh, but we're like, yeah, whatever. That's not going to happen. Uh, he texted me back like the next day or two, a day or two later. And he said, hey, I'm going to go ahead and plan that anyways. Let's, I'm going to go ahead and come home. So he's coming home for 10 days next Saturday. So he's going to be here for our men's tailgate, also for the Super Bowl. Tates get to celebrate the Bengals being in the Super Bowl. So excited about that. Keep on praying. All right. Um, So excited about that. So speaking of, again, men, um, our tailgate is coming up Saturday. I want to encourage you, highly encourage you to be there with us at 6 p.m. Like Jake said, we'll provide the chili and the drinks if you could just bring your favorite tailgate food. Uh, We'll have a good time uh, as men of God gathering together and just celebrating. um, And we're going to have a prayer meeting for the Cincinnati Bengals. Just kidding. Um, We're going to talk about the Lord, and we're just going to encourage each other as men living for God in 2022. So men, I'd love for you to be there. So we are in 2022, the year of discipleship. Personally, this revolves around this Bible reading plan. I hope you all are joined with us, and it's not too late. If you're not, it's around this Bible reading plan. We call it F260 Bible reading plan. Uh, If you have not jumped in with us, you can jump in in week six with us. There's Bible reading plans over at Next Steps. Um, And for example, this is the reading for this week. All right, it's basically two chapters a day for the most part. Um, We post this on social media every Saturday morning as well. Love for you to jump in with us. Um, Jake, you're okay on not having the memory verse memorized because it's for this upcoming week. All right, Uh, we picked, what I'm doing myself is just picking one of the two verses um, because there's usually a long one and a short one and I like the short one. So I'm going with Genesis 50, 20 this week. Um, So our personal Bible reading plan and corporately what we're doing is we're in the series called The Word, which is 52 weeks that we're going through the Word of God and um, it's made up of eight sermon series. We just finished series number one, which is called In the Beginning. We are kicking off today a series called Promised Land, series two of eight for this year. So I saw this week, you know, back on Wednesday, it was Groundhog Day, and I saw there's this account that I follow called Church Curmudgeon, all right? I started following this on Twitter years ago, and now he's on Facebook as well. If, you're, if you've been a Baptist for a long time, you'll get some humor out of this, all right, because uh, he just says funny things that, you know, if you're a good old Baptist, uh, make you laugh. And here's something that he said on Wednesday that I thought was, was funny. If the pastor sees a shadow, there will be six more weeks of this sermon series. <laughs> Uh, And I just thought it was funny because we're kicking off a sermon series, which happens to be six weeks long. And so um, that's, uh, I'm going to turn you on to him this morning because he's got some funny stuff. Um, So anyways, we are in this series called Promised Land, and today's sermon is called When When God Calls. And we're going to be in Exodus chapter 3, and I just want to kind of set the stage for where we're at. We were looking at, for the last couple weeks, the life of Joseph an instrumental uh, player in the story of God and one of the sons of Israel. So you have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob was renamed by God Israel, and 
he had 12 sons, and this makes up the tribes and the, the children of Israel. And so what we saw last week is Joseph was uh, in, imprisoned, and uh, he had interpreted uh, some dreams for the cupbearer and the baker, and he, and he said, hey, when you get out, remember me. The cupbearer forgot about him for two years um, until Pharaoh had a dream, and then, and then the cupbearer remembered him, and Pharaoh called in Joseph to interpret his dream, and he did, and he nailed it. And uh, he, the dreams were about these upcoming, this upcoming famine that was going to strike the land and the whole world. And, and so Pharaoh puts Joseph into this place of power. He's basically second in command over all of Egypt. And then we see in the story that all of the world comes to Egypt and comes to Joseph, and he is kind of in control of everything. And and Joseph's brothers and his family come to him, and they don't recognize him, but he has every opportunity to get revenge on his brothers for what they did to him. And, and what we see in Genesis 50, verse 20, that memory verse, we see that Joseph, Joseph wasn't angry. Joseph wasn't bitter. He forgave his brothers because he saw the hand of God, that though his brothers meant it for evil, God meant it for good. And so he saw the hand of God at work, in his life. And he even goes on to say in, in Genesis that uh, God sent him ahead of, of his brothers so that he could preserve their lives. And so his perspective was amazing. But what happens is Joseph brings his, his brothers and his father and his whole family, the whole, all the children of Israel come and camp out in Egypt so that Joseph can keep them alive. And so as you end the book of Genesis, we see that all, all the children of Israel are in Egypt. And Joseph dies, and it says that the children of Israel uh, multiplied as we start out the book of Exodus, we're going to move into today. And this new king, this new pharaoh, did not like seeing all these foreigners in his land, all these Hebrews, beginning to grow and multiply. And, and so it says that he dealt shrewdly with them, and that he afflicted them with heavy burdens, and he, he made them slaves, and his plan to uh, keep these, these Hebrews at bay, not to grow and multiply and overtake the Egyptians, was his plan was, we're going to kill every male child at birth. And so we see in the beginning of the book of Exodus that this Hebrew baby, Moses, who would be named, survives, and he grows up in the house of, of Pharaoh. And at age 40, Moses, this new character in the story of God, he recognizes himself as a Hebrew when he sees one of the Egyptians striking or beating uh, one of his own, he says, one of his people. And so Moses steps in and tries to intervene and he ends up murdering the Egyptian. He's found out, he flees, he leaves, he leaves his home and he flees to Midian and he starts over. He starts a brand new life. He marries, he has a child. And as we see in the book of Exodus chapter two, leading into our passage this morning, the people of God, the, the nation of Israel, are in slavery. They're in bondage in Egypt. They're stuck there now, and they're under this taskmaster, Pharaoh, and they're crying out because of the affliction that they're experiencing. And Moses, we, as we move into Exodus 3, God comes calling. And so I want us to, we're going to kind of do a running commentary. We're going to work through Exodus 3, verses 1 through 15. And I want us to see some things in the life of Moses here as God calls him. First of all is this, ordinary circumstances led to a divine 
calling. Ordinary circumstances led to a divine calling. So if you look at Exodus chapter 3, starting in verse 1, it says this. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Oreb, the mountain of God. So let me just stop there for a second. So Moses, when he fled from Egypt, he was 40 years old. And what we see later on in the scriptures, we see, um, we put this timeline together. We find out that Moses has spent 40 years now, again, in the desert, in Midian, and just starting over, living this new life. And he's a pretty ordinary guy, living a pretty ordinary life. He spends 40 years as a shepherd in Midian. And so pretty ordinary and he comes to the wilderness in this place called Oreb, which is either also known as Mount Sinai or, it's, it's, uh, or it refers to this region where this mountain is located. In either case, it's referred to as the mountain of God. And so here is Moses just tending his flock. And it says in verse number two, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush has, is not burned. And so let me pause there for a second. So we see this angel of the Lord comes to him in this bush that is, is on fire, but it's not being consumed. And, and we see all throughout the Old Testament, we see this angel of the Lord appears and uh, speaks to God's people. And and it's, it's most generally, almost always, it's not just like this angel from heaven that shows up. It's generally an actual appearance of the Lord who is coming and speaking. And here he's coming in a flame of fire. And, and I love like Moses' reaction here. He's, it says, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. In other words, he's basically saying, whoa, like what is up with this flaming shrubbery. What is going on with this? I need a closer look. I need, to, I need to look more closely. And so he's just intrigued. What is going on here? And so it says in verse number four, when the Lord saw that he turned aside the sea, okay, he got his attention. God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And I just want to stop there for a second again, because we saw this in the life of Abraham. We see this later on in the Old Testament and Isaiah. This is my favorite response and really the most proper response to the call of God. Uh, we saw God call to, out to Abraham and Abraham's response was, here I am. And he calls to Moses and Moses says, here I am. And this reminds me of like back when I was like, uh, a young kid in school. Did y'all ever have when they like took roll and they'd be like, Andrew Tate, and you'd be like, here. Did you guys ever do that? Anybody else ever do that? I may be beyond, this may be a long time ago, right? Like here, what, what, like, what does that mean? It means I'm present, I'm here, uh, I'm paying attention, right? I'm not absent. Uh, and, and that's exactly, I love this response from the people of God. Like when God calls out, when he calls your name, the response is here. God, I'm here, I'm listening, I'm paying attention, I'm not absent. And so Moses responds, here I am. And then God speaks back to him in verse number five. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And, and I love this. And many a good worship tune has been written about this holy ground. But, but just think about this. He's been, 
he's, he's come to this place with his flock. It's on the backside of the desert. He's, there's this burning bush. There's, no, there's nothing extraordinary about this place. There's nothing special about this place. It's very ordinary. And yet God says, son, take your shoes off because you're standing on holy ground. Like, why does he call this ground holy? This is just normal, normal ground that he's standing on. You know what makes the ground holy? The presence of God, right? It's the presence of God that makes this ordinary place extraordinary. And that's what I love, y'all, about Sundays, is that this is a pretty normal, this is a pretty average building. This is a pretty average place physically. Nothing extraordinary about this place. But when God's people gather together, it's holy ground. Amen? Jesus said, when two or three gather in my name, there I am right in the midst of them. And so y'all, take your shoes off. Just kidding. We're not going to do that. Uh, Y'all are family. I love you, but we're not that close. We're not doing that in this place. But he says, take your shoes off because the place you're standing on is holy ground. Verse number six. And the Lord said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And just a side note, one of the things I noticed here, and I may be wrong, but he says, I'm the God of your father. And I just thought, who is Moses' father? I don't know that the scripture ever speaks to who his earthly father is. Um, and I don't think he does, but, but I love this. He says, I'm the God of your father. I'm the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And so Moses hid his, his face. And, and so the whole point here, ordinary circumstances led to this divine calling Moses just living his life for 40 years, and really here's the point, is that you can run from God all you want. I mean, you don't hear about God's activity in Moses' life for 40 years, and yet here he is. Until God is done with you, he will keep chasing you down. He will chase you down to the backside of the desert 40 years later in an ordinary place, in ordinary circumstances. And I can't help but think that maybe there'll be somebody here today or somebody listening online, that this is a very ordinary Sunday in 2022. And yet maybe this ordinary day, these ordinary circumstances, is the place where God is going to call out your name and speak to you. And I hope that's the case today, that you will hear his voice and that you'll respond, that I will respond like Moses and say, here I am. But then I want to move into verse number seven, and I want us to see this, that God sees and hears and knows the affliction of his people. God sees, hears, and knows the affliction of his people. And I just want to read verse number seven uh, in Exodus chapter three. He says this, Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. He says, I've seen and I, I've heard and I know what you're going through. And I just, I felt like it was important to stop here this morning and just, uh, this was an important point to remember that God is not blind and God is not deaf and God is not dumb. God sees and God hears and God knows exactly what you are going through. He knows, even though nobody else in the world 
may know, God sees and he hears and he knows the affliction of his people. And I, and I just want to take that moment to stop and pause and remind us of that. Maybe you just needed to, to hear that again this morning, that God sees and he hears and he knows. And maybe he's been silent, but listen, he's not been inactive. He is working. He sees and hears and knows the affliction of his people. And, and then as we move into verses 8 through 10, because God cares for his people, he sees and he hears and he knows. And because he cares for his people, he comes down to deliver them. So go back to chapter 3, look at verses 8 through 10. It says, God continues this. He says, I've seen their affliction. I've heard their cry. I know their sufferings. Verse 8, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And so God cares for his people. He doesn't just see and hear and know their affliction, but he cares. And the way that we know that he cares is he comes down. I love the exact phrasing. It says that he comes down. I've come down to deliver you. And, and, and one of the things I always think is so important when we see this is that God doesn't just say here that I've come to deliver you out of your affliction. I've come to deliver you out of your hardship and out of the adversity that you're facing. He, he certainly says that. But part of his deliverance of his people was bringing them out of this slavery and out of this affliction, but also bringing them into a good and a broad land. He, he brought them out of this place so that he could bring them into the fullness of all that he had for them, this land that was flowing with milk and honey. Y'all ever get it like in your mind, like what must that have looked like? Like literally, like how slow must that honey have been flowing, right? Um, I've never thought about that until this very moment, but that stuff doesn't move very fast, you know, but it's like flowing with milk and honey, this land that just is full and overflowing. And he says, I'm, I'm, I've come down to deliver you. I didn't just hear and see and know from afar. I have come down to deliver you out so that I could bring you in. And this is such an incredible picture. I think one of the, the, the most powerful pictures in all of Scripture. Because Egypt, which he is bringing them out of, is a picture of the world. The, the system in which we live, which is is based off the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. It's, it's this, this system that is against the Lord. And, he said, and, and the Egypt is a picture of this. And God says, I'm, I'm calling you out of this. I'm bringing you out of this. And, and into this land, this promised land, this land of Canaan that's full and, and overflowing. And that's a picture to us ultimately of, of heaven and the presence of the Lord. But it's, it's more than just this this land that is to come. It's about this full, abundant, overflowing life now. And so the picture here is God says, I want to I deliver you out of 
the system of oppression and affliction and evil of this world. And I want to bring you into my kingdom. I want to bring you into this good, full life, this good, full land, like for everything that I've created you for, so much more than you're experiencing. I'm going to bring you out of that so I can bring you into the fullness of life that I have for you. And so God says to Moses, like, I love this. He, he says, I am going to send you. I'm going to send you, Moses, as a deliverer. I'm going to send you to deliver. I've come down to deliver my people, and I've asked you to take off your shoes so that I can step into them and deliver my people. And, 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 I, and this always makes me think of, of my pastor, Pastor Mark Trotter. A year ago this month, we made a trip, my wife and I, back to Ohio to celebrate his life. He passed away last year. And, and I remember him um, being so adamant in this story. The reason that God told him to take off his shoes is because God wanted to step into his shoes and live his life through Moses. And, and he says, I've come down to do this, and I'm going to come down and do this through you, Moses. I want to step into your shoes, and I want to use you. And so because God cares for his people, he comes down to deliver them. And, and then in these last few verses, verses 11 through 15, we see this, that God chooses, God calls, God sends, and God empowers. God chooses, God calls, God sends, and God empowers. And if you go back to verse number 11, Moses, in this conversation with God, he says, Who am I that, that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Remember, this is the mountain of God. You're going to come back here and worship. Then Moses said to God, if, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, he's like, I'm a nobody. What do I tell them? And they asked me, what is your name? What shall I say to them? Verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say to this to the people of Israel, I am uh, the, uh, the self-existing one. I am has sent you, has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of, of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. And, and so there's this little like back and forth between Moses and God. And it extends a little bit further in chapter three and into chapter four, where in essence, Moses is arguing with God. And he's, his argument is this, God, like, who am I? I am not qualified for this job. This is like way above my pay grade. I am not qualified. You know what God's rebuttal to him is every single time? You know what God's rebuttal is? Moses, it's not about you. It's not about you. So, so Moses, he says, who am I that I should go? What does God say? God, God, what does God say? God says, I will be with you. I'm going to go with you. Moses says, what, what is your name? What do I tell them? God says, I am who I am. Tell them the 
the great I am, the God of your fathers has sent you. And Moses comes back at him and he goes on to say, well, I can't speak very well. God, have you heard me talk? I stutter. I can't do this. I can't speak very well. And you know what God says? Who made your mouth? He says, I've made your mouth and I will teach you exactly what you need to say. And then he kind of comes to the end and just, (laughs) Moses says, God, would you just please send someone else? Please send somebody else. And God says, okay, I will. I'm going to send Aaron to go with you. But son, you're not getting out of this. I'm sending Aaron to go with you. And I'm going to use both of you. And I'm going to speak through both of you. You're going to both be vessels of deliverance for me. And so God says, I've, I've chosen you. I've called you. I am sending you. And guess what, Moses? I will empower you. I'm going to give you everything you need to do what I've called you to do. Because when I call you to do something, I'm going to give you exactly what you need to pull it off. God chooses. God calls. God sends. And God empowers. It's not about you, Moses. I will empower you. I'm going to do it through you. And so let me ask you this, as we, as we kind of consider this passage, we're going to talk in just a moment about how, this, how we live this out, how it applies to us. But, you know, Jesus later on in the scriptures, he says that all of the scriptures point to him. The whole Bible, every story is one unified story that points to Christ. So let me ask you, do you see Christ in Exodus 3? And you don't have to answer me out loud, but I just want to ask you, do you can you see Christ in this story? If not, let me, let me point it out to you. Because in the, in the generations following this, God would one day bring a better deliverer. I mean, Moses was an incredible man used, used so amazingly of God. God used him to be the deliverer of his people. But one day, through this line through the children of Israel, through the nation of Israel, God would send a better deliverer. And his name was Jesus Christ. And he would come down to bring us out of our affliction. He would come down to bring us out of our slavery to sin. He would come down literally, physically, to deliver us out of this this eternal destination that every single one of us, because of our sin, our sinfulness against the holy God, deserve and will get is eternal separation from God in a literal place called hell. He came to deliver us out of that destination to bring us into a relationship with God, to bring us into this full and overflowing life, to bring us into this eternal life that starts here and lasts forever. He came to bring us out of our sin so that he could bring us into this full, overflowing, abundant life. And y'all, this is why this is the year of discipleship, because We didn't get saved. We didn't come out of our sin. We didn't pray a prayer just so that we could get out of our affliction. No, God saved us so that we could experience 
growth in Christ so that we can experience more and more of his power and his presence in our life so that we could be further and further removed from the sin that entangles us. This is why he came. He is a better deliverer to which Moses was pointing to. And one of my favorite verses in all the scripture is John 10, verse 10. You hear us talk about our mission statement here is to help others find full life in Christ and community and on mission. It's birthed out of what Jesus said in John 10, 10, when he said that the thief, the enemy of God, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And Jesus said, I came that they may have life, that you may have life and have it abundantly, not just eternal life, but full overflowing life right here and now. But let me make sure that I say this, in order to receive that gift, that eternal life, we must repent of our sin and believe in Christ. We must turn away from our sin, we must walk away from our sin and believe in Christ. And this is why he came. He is the better deliverer to which all the scriptures speak to. And so when we consider Exodus 3, we consider all these things that we see in the life of Moses when God calls him, how do we live this out? How do we live in light of this truth? Let me just give you two things this morning. First of all is this, God speaks into our lives and he calls us to obey. God speaks into our lives still This wasn't just for Moses. This wasn't just for the people of God back then. God still speaks into our lives and he calls us to obey. And this is, you know, this is the reason, again, why I keep coming back to this year of discipleship. And this is why I keep coming back to this Bible reading plan because God speaks to us in a multitude of ways. He speaks through other people, right? He speaks through his spirit, But the primary way, he speaks through circumstances, but the primary way that God speaks to us, the primary way that he has chosen to reveal himself to humanity is through his word. This is the way that he speaks to us. This is the way that he calls out to us. And you might be like, man, I just, I don't feel like I'm hearing from God. Are you in his word? Because this is where he reveals himself in his character to us. And this is why we're trying to, as a church, dig in and, and, and jump in and root ourselves in the word of God, because this is the way that God speaks to us. He calls us to obey. The primary way is through his word. So God speaks into our lives and he calls us to obey. And then here's a second thought kind of coming off of that. When God calls us, we must respond with obedience. When he calls us, We must, we ought to, we need to respond with obedience. When he speaks into our lives, he calls us to obey. And when he calls, we've got to respond with obedience. And let me just remind you of this too. um, Because, you know, he calls us to obedience. And it's not just so that we could be good, obedient children. So we can do what we ought to do. But... He always, his call to us always revolves around us being vessels of deliverance for others. Like when he calls us to obey, it's, it's for our own good. It's so that we can experience full life. It's so that we can experience 
the abundant life that he's called us to. But when we obey God, it's so that we can glorify him and so that we can be used as vessels of deliverance for others. It's never just about us. When we obey our obedience to God, it, it will lead to deliverance for others. And, you know, God isn't, you know, you, you may be like Moses, you and I sometimes, um, we're like, okay, I'm not good enough. I'm not qualified. Like, I can't, I don't know if I can do this. God doesn't want your goodness. God doesn't want your greatness. He wants your faithfulness. He wants your availability. He wants you to just simply say, God, here I am. Would you use me? God's not even looking for the strong and the able. He's looking for the willing and the weak. Which you know what? You know who qualifies for that? Every single stinking last one of us. And, and, and I want to just, I want to read, kind of close on this passage, 1 Corinthians 1. And I'm going to read a few verses out of it. Chapter 1 and verse uh, 26 through 29. And then a few verses in chapter 2. Paul says this, one of the greatest Christians ever to live. And he said this, For consider your calling, brothers, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. In other words, it's not about you. It's not about how good you are. It's not about how great you are. In fact, I'd rather you be low and weak so that you don't get to boast because it's not about you. And then as Paul moves into chapter two, he says this just in these first few verses. He says, and I, when I came to you, brothers, I didn't come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or, or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of, of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. He says, I came to you weak and lowly. I wasn't very impressive. And yet, because of that, God was able to show off through me. Why? Because I threw my shoes off. I stepped out of my shoes and I said, God, here I am. Would you step into these dirty, ordinary shoes and would you use me as a vessel of deliverance? That's what Moses did. That's what Paul did. That's what God calls to us to do. That's what he's looking for from us. And so let me close by reminding you, our obedience to God will lead to deliverance for others. If you'll just follow God, if you'll obey God, if you'll be faithful to God, he will bless you and he will use you to bless others and help others to find their way out of Egypt 
so that they can find their way into the promised land of his goodness and his grace. Amen? And so today we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper, and this is a way for us to remember how he came down to provide deliverance for us, to bring us out of our sin and to bring us into his grace and into his kingdom